The entire federal government stands behind you. Your rights at school matter. You matter. I didn't want Madeline to have any kind of conflict, internal conflict about being gay. And it actually took me years to get to that point where I had to recognize, okay, this is actually part of her motivation. This is part of her struggles because it's not at all part of mine. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Greg Gordon. Queers flee the Taliban as the U.S. exits Afghanistan. Trans students get a back-to-school boost from U.S. feds. And Amanda Kabak's Mathematics of Change get upended in her new novel. All that and more this week, now that you've chosen This Way Out. I'm M.R. Raquel. And I'm Marcos Najera. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending August 21st, 2021. LGBTQ people and their allies fear for their safety under the Taliban as the U.S. and its allies clumsily withdraw military forces from Afghanistan. The fundamentalist Islamic group, now again in control of the country, is known for its brutal treatment of queers and harsh oppression of women. The Taliban has been biding its time since the U.S. invasion in 2001, aimed to westernize the central South Asian nation. Its spokespeople have insisted that the Taliban-run government of 2021 will be far more forgiving, though most observers are dubious. A Taliban judge told the German tabloid Bild in July that LGBTQ people will be put to death under Sharia, or strict Islamic law. It calls for them to be stoned to death, shoved off a cliff, or crushed as a wall is pushed onto them. German sources in Kabul are now reporting that the Taliban has already started to execute collaborators and homosexuals. It's difficult, however to get an accurate picture of what's happening on the ground amidst the horrifying chaos. The Rainbow Railroad is a global, non-governmental organization best known for helping queers escape the oppressive, mostly Muslim, Chechen region of Russia. It's now among a number of groups trying to help LGBTQ people escape Afghanistan. A GoFundMe page has also been set up to help queer Afghans escape what many fear is certain death. Several LGBTQ advocacy groups are urging Western countries to offer them asylum quickly. Lawmakers in the southern Malpolska region of Poland defy the European Commission this week by voting to maintain their LGBT free zone declaration. The region includes the nation's second largest city, Krakow. The EC had given warning that Malpolska stands to lose billions in EU funding in mid-September if they continue to disrespect LGBTQ rights. More than 100 LGBT free zones have been announced by cities and regional councils. That amounts to about a third of the country. Poland's politically powerful Roman Catholic Church supports them and the entire anti-queer regime of President Andrzej Duda. Robert Biedrin is an out gay member of Poland's leftist opposition and the European Parliament. He condemned Malpolska's renewed LGBT free zone declaration, telling Reuters, Once again... The hatred and anger of Duda's Law and Justice Party turned out to be more important than the good of citizens. 
Poland's national government has promised to replace EU funding denied to anti-queer jurisdictions. It's not clear that they have any money to put where their mouths are. Right-wing politicians in Romania are following in the anti-queer footsteps of Poland and its neighbor, Hungary. Both countries are under European Union pressure to dump anti-LGBTQ laws. Hungary is also doubling down on its homophobia by making it a crime to disseminate positive portrayals of LGBTQ people in schools and on television. Now, the Alliance for the Unification of Romania has announced that they'll be introducing legislation similar to Hungary's when the new parliamentary session begins in mid-September. They hold about 10% of the seats in parliament, so it's not clear if that effort will gain traction. Romania decriminalized same-gender sex 20 years ago. A referendum held in 2018 to ban marriage equality failed after only 21% of eligible voters participated. An estimated 8,000 people marched through the streets of the Romanian capital of Bucharest on August 14th in the first LGBTQ pride parade since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Teodora Ion Rotaro of Romania's major LGBTQ rights group, ACCEPT, told the Associated Press, the march asks for protection from violence, protection from discrimination, and protection from being fired for your sexual orientation or gender identity. Only about 100 anti-queer demonstrators held a counter-protest a few hours before the Pride March stepped off. Uganda's President Yawiri Museveni has rejected an effort to make the nation's anti-queer laws even more oppressive. The Sexual Offenses Bill 2021 is primarily intended to crack down on sexual harassment. Criminalizing same-gender relationships and sex work are convenient byproducts. Museveni said this week that existing law already covers many provisions of the bill, including up to life in prison for convicted offenders. Uganda made headlines a few years ago when the East African nation proposed even harsher penalties in what became known as the Kill the Gays Bill. Global pressure prevented it from becoming law. Severe social stigma has kept most queer Ugandans in the closet. Adrian Juko is the executive director of the Ugandan Human Rights Awareness and Promotion Forum. He told the Washington Blade, In Uganda, the law matters, but it also doesn't. In other words, it doesn't matter what the situation is. With what the law right now is, the persecution of LGBT people will remain. Israel's gay and bisexual men will no longer be barred from donating blood, according to proudly out health minister Nitsan Horowitz. He explained in a Facebook post this week that every blood donor who comes with the goal of saving a life will receive equal treatment, no matter what his gender or sexual orientation is, whether he is LGBT or straight. Horowitz called earlier bans a remnant of a stereotype that belongs to history. Until now, blood donations by Israeli gay and bisexual men were limited to those who had not had male-with-male sex for at least 12 months. The new regulations only require donors to have been celibate for the previous three months if they report engaging with multiple partners or having unprotected sex. The Israeli newspaper Haaretz says that the new regulations will take effect in October. Activists in other countries are hoping that their governments will follow Israel's lead, notably the UK and the US. Both have eased their bans on blood donations by gay and bisexual men, but still require three months of celibacy before they can donate. 
Queer advocates insist that sexual activity must be the determining factor, not sexual orientation. As Israeli Health Minister Horowitz said, there is no difference between blood and blood. In other news, U.S. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg made a very special announcement on Twitter this week. For some time, Chastin and I have wanted to grow our family. We're overjoyed to share that we've become parents. The 39- and 32-year-olds, soon-to-be dads, told the Washington Post that they've been trying to adopt for more than a year and revealed they've even shot for baby gear and discussed names on multiple occasions. Chastin said that the process has led to what he called a really weird cycle of anger and frustration and hope. You think it's finally happening and you get so excited and then it's gone. Secretary Pete's Twitter announcement continued, The process isn't done yet and we're thankful for the love, support and respect for our privacy that has been offered to us. We can't wait to share more soon. The Buddha judges are already fathers to their two dogs, Truman and Buddy. Finally, Oregonians Aaron and J. Bill McCarthy took action after the local school board voted to ban displays of pride flags, Black Lives Matter signs, and what the board called other political expressions. The McCarthys own a farm close to Newburgh High School and posted their idea for a proper response to the pride flag ban on social media. According to Portland TV station KGW, several people from around the state responded with donations of funds and materials. On a 17 by 30 foot piece of plywood, the McCarthys painted a Progress Pride flag, the one that incorporates not only the traditional rainbow colors, but black and brown stripes for people of color and pale pink, light blue, and white for transgender folks. Their pride flag sits on a hill in clear view of the high school's football field. KGW reports that the Progress Pride flag was created in 2018 by fellow Oregonian Daniel Quasar and gained widespread popularity after it appeared on the VH1 TV show RuPaul's Drag Race. The school board's banner ban is reportedly being reviewed for its legality and has yet to take effect. Aaron McCarthy told KGW that it's not expressing a Democratic idea or a Republican idea or conservative or liberal. It's human beings. She said that they aimed for maximum visibility for their plywood pride flag, adding that, I wish it could be 10 times bigger. That is News Wrap, global queer news with attitude for the week ending August 21st, 2021. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappell, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. And you can read the transcript and listen to News Wrap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm MR Raquel. Stay healthy. And I'm Marcos Najera. Stay safe. This book took me five years and about 10 different drafts, and three of them were wildly different from what you see uh, in the printed book now. A novelist goes through changes as her characters get upended. But first... Up in the morning and out to school The teacher is teaching the golden rule American history and practical man Hoping to pass Working 
To mask or not to mask is the issue exploding across the U.S. as schools reopen during the rise of the Delta COVID variant. Taking off the masks of gender identity during the rise of state legislative measures to restrict their rights is the issue facing young trans students. Several officials from the federal government sent them this encouraging message via YouTube. Hello, I am Suzanne Goldberg, Acting Assistant Secretary for the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights. Returning to school can be both exciting and nerve-wracking for many students. Maybe you're starting a new school or returning to in-person learning after a long time away. Maybe you're worried about making friends or keeping up with a challenging new class. If you're a transgender student, perhaps you're worried about simply being accepted and safe and being treated with respect as you head into the new school year. I'm Kristen Clark, the Assistant Attorney General for the Civil Rights Division at the U.S. Department of Justice. We know that many school administrators and educators are doing their best to make schools safe and welcoming places for all students, including LGBTQI students. We appreciate the work they do. But we also know that that's not the reality for all transgender students, including perhaps some of you. In some places, people in positions of authority are putting up obstacles that would keep you from playing on the sports field, accessing the bathroom, and receiving the supportive and life-saving care you may need. We're here to say that's wrong and it's against the law. We know that you are resilient and we hope you will find support where and when you need it. But we also want you to know that the Department of Education and the entire federal government stand behind you. Your rights at school matter. You matter. The Department of Justice is here, along with the Department of Education, to investigate complaints about discrimination or harassment based on sexual orientation or gender identity. We want you to know that we are looking out for you, and we're here to protect your civil rights. Hello, I am Dr. Rachel Levine, Assistant Secretary for Health. We know at the United States Department of Health and Human Services that learning environments free from bullying and harassment are vital to making sure that all students flourish, regardless of their sexual orientation or gender identity. It is critical to support trans youth, their parents and families, to help them achieve the good health and well-being that everyone deserves. We have many federal government resources for you. If you face discrimination or harassment at school because you are transgender, you can file a complaint with the Education Department's Office for Civil Rights at ed.gov backslash OCR. You can also find much more information and resources on a dedicated page for LGBTQI students at ed.gov backslash OCR backslash LGBT. Or just Google LGBTQI students and OCR and you will find your way there. We want to hear from you. You can file a complaint with the Justice Department at civilrights.justice.gov. The information is available in multiple languages. Discrimination will not be accepted on our watch. Right now, we are fighting against laws that tried to ban transgender athletes in West Virginia 
and deny health care for transgender young people in Arkansas. And recently, federal courts in both states have blocked those laws from being applied. Discrimination and bullying have no place in our nation's schools. We all learn better when we are in safe and welcoming environments. If you are being bullied or know someone who is, we encourage you to visit StopBullying.gov for more information and resources. President Biden sent an unequivocal message to the transgender community, quote, to all transgender Americans watching at home, especially the young people, I want you to know your president has your back, unquote. Well, I want all of you to know that I have your back too, and I will do everything that I can to support and advocate for our community. We stand behind you and are ready to act to defend your rights. Best of luck for this next school year. I join my colleagues in wishing you all the best for an enriching and fulfilling school year. That was U.S. Department of Justice Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark for the Civil Rights Division, Department of Education Acting Assistant Secretary for Civil Rights Suzanne Goldberg, and Department of Health and Human Services Assistant Secretary for Health Dr. Rachel Levine with a back-to-school message for transgender kids. Are you signed up for our new e-newsletter, Inside This Way Out? We send them out every few weeks, briefly reviewing recent and previewing upcoming programming and deepening the conversation about your favorite international LGBTQ radio show. All you have to do to receive Inside This Way Out messages is email us at info at thiswayout.org. And be assured that we don't share or sell your email address or anything about you to anyone else, and we never will. Again, to receive the occasional Inside This Way Out and let us know you're listening, email us at info at thiswayout.org. In her debut novel, Amanda Kabak's cast of characters found a pathway through their evolving relationships and sexualities by learning the mathematics of change. Her second book also deals with change, the kind that leaves you totally upended. This way out's John the Fifth has more. In my recent Zoom chat with author Amanda Kabak, we discussed her newest book, Upended, about a brilliant tech entrepreneur, Madeline Sawyer, and her attempts to balance work and personal struggles after a devastating breakup. Maddie then experiences a horrific trauma at the worst possible moment, and my chat with Amanda begins with her correcting my description of Maddie as just a software engineer. Uh, it's it's close. Uh, she's she's not a software engineer, though oh. I am. <laughs> right. Okay. Then please correct me. Oh, she's a she's it's it's incredibly boring, but she's a management consultant. Okay, all right. Um, and I guess there's some software engineering within that, right? Yeah, they've they've got an app, right? And right. Apps run right. the world these days. So yes, and um, just on a personal note, I I really enjoyed the novel. Um, and so let me just jump into a few questions about you and the book. Um, so this one's probably kind of an obvious question, but for you personally, was there a lot of, um, you know, like internal pressure to quote unquote deliver after you had such an auspicious debut with um, the mathematics of change? 
Uh, no, luckily, I mean, what's interesting is that, uh, you know, I'd almost finished this book by the time the mathematics of change came out. So there's, there's been a long lead time between my books. So there was no pressure at all. I didn't even know if it would get published. So, oh, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I imagine that's not always the case for a lot of other authors. Yes, I agree. Your extraordinary use of language, I find mesmerizing and almost fantastical. And are you a person who sometimes kind of has to get out of your own head to, to kind of get it on the paper? Well, I, I think everyone does. I mean, it, it starts somewhere kind of really deep in your brain and you've got to figure out what is this, what is this thing? You know, for me, stories come as these like really high, like sociological ideas. And then I've got to um, kind of, I, I've got a feeling in my chest of what it is. Like, what do I want it to evoke in the reader and how do I take this idea and and turn it into something that's going to draw people in and make them feel what I'm feeling about this book wow no pressure at all huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's why it takes me years <laughs> that's beautiful though I, I I love I love that kind of lofty place of you know I almost idealism would you ever consider writing a, a fantasy or a sci-fi novel it actually one of the first ones I wrote, I wrote a bunch of novels before I was published, but one of the first ones I wrote was a, a science fiction one. Um, and actually, I'm going to revisit it. And I'm going to actually make it a real thing. And I've got the prologue to it as a short story that I'm, I'm shopping around now. So I, I do have a, a long uh, history with loving what I call humanistic science fiction. Uh, so these are stories where really the, the character stories are the, the front, but they're backed or made possible by some kind of technology or future or strange land. Is there a title yet or are you, you keeping that close, close uh, to? <laughs> Miracles Incorporated. Oh, what a great title. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So your main character, Maddie, is working on a very technical startup um, app. And um, it's like, like we said, it's somewhat similar to what you do in your work besides fiction. So do you prefer to work aspects of your own life into your writing or does it just kind of happen? Uh, it, it happens. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily love it uh, and I would never <laughs> write deeply uh, something that's very similar to my life because it is, I mean, in, in ways, you know, it's interesting for me. It's certainly not interesting for everyone else. Uh, but, you know, it's it's the kind of the backbone of what's a lot of what's happening in the world today. You know, how do we automate? Um, what does social media do for us? Um, you know, these supercomputers that we're carrying around in our pockets, how do we, how can we use them for good or evil? <laughs> so, uh, you know, they're going to come up in stories if, if we're talking about the, the current situation here. Have you seen that documentary, The um, Social Dilemma? That's about that. I, I have seen snippets of it and I, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's scary. It is, um, especially when, you know, uh, the creators of these apps literally say in the thing, take Facebook off of your phone. I don't yeah. have any of that. So right. yeah, it's, I agree. It's, it's um, a cosmic change, so to speak. In your writing, you, you, you explore guilt, shame, and regret, which are universal emotions. Um, are you someone who believes in the therapeutic process to work through those very um, tough emotional places? No, I did all my therapy first. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think what's important is to understand how these emotions drive us and why we do the things we do. And I think, you know, 
therapy is super helpful in understanding that. I don't, I think it's really hard if you're tightly uh, kind of emotionally coupled to what you're writing to actually create something that is objectively uh, quality just because you're so you're so close to it and you know you might be muddling through but the but there needs to be clarity in the writing itself as they say there's a lot to unpack there but um thank you for that did you personally have a difficult time when you came out or or was that you know something you were able to work through pretty i it, i had relatively uneventful let's call it that I mean it was 30 years ago so you know it was not super smooth <laughs> I could say sure. coming out wasn't super smooth back then right. um, but that it's what's interesting is that was something that I really struggled with in this book because I didn't want uh, Madeline to have had a hard time I didn't want her her to have internalized shame about this any kind of conflict internal conflict about being gay and it actually took me years to get to that point where I had to recognize okay this is actually part of her motivation this is part of her struggles because it's not at all part of mine I see <laughs> even if she had had uh, like an easier time of it she kind of struggles with a lot you know that yes. she's <laughs> So, so that's, that's really interesting. Um, so I find your dialogue to be incredibly rich and layered. And I was wondering, does that come to you easily or is it more part of that process you've talked about of writing, rewriting, rewriting? It's, it's actually fairly easy, uh, but that's not to say I don't rewrite it endlessly, uh, but that, that's actually a little easier for me than other parts of, of, of creating the book. You get the impression when you're reading that you really are in their heads mm -hmm. and um it's 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 very rich thank you do you like to have multiple writing projects at a time or is it one thing now and you know yeah it's usually one thing i've got uh since you know since i work a full-time job i've got limited time so i try to kind of maximize what i'm doing uh, on one thing and, and focus on that. And novels are great because I'm not an idea person. You know, I don't have a million ideas for stories. And so I love when I have an idea for a novel because I can just sit with it for years. And so I come to the writing table every day and I'm like, well, I know what I'm working on today. <laughs> that's Wow. <for> me. <laughs> and that's not frustrating to you to, you know, to, to no. have that much time? Well, yeah. I mean, there's despair. There are always moments of despair. Uh, I, I, this, this book took me five years uh, and about 10 different drafts and three of them were wildly different from what you see uh, in the printed book now. And, and I remember like, like specifically three years in sitting at a coffee shop and just wanting to cry because I was like, I'm never going to I'm never going to crack this book like I'm never going to make this work. Tune in next time to the conclusion of my interview with author Amanda Kaback when we find out whether she and her protagonist Maddie ever managed to make this work and write that which had previously been upended. I've got, you know, 90,000 words and there's some core truth here that I'm not seeing. And so if I can just find it, then I can make this thing really stand on its own and be self-consistent. I'm John Dyer V, and that's next time on This Way Out. Thanks for discovering This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from M.R. Raquel and Marcos Nahara, produced by Brian DeShazer, and from John Dyer V. 
Chuck Berry, Sam Cooke, and Aldrich Vincent performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This way, our thanks to Kicking Assets Fund of the Tides Foundation, the Yavana Foundation, a bequest from Christopher David Trentham, donors Paul Bannon, and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors makes this program possible. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email tworadio at aol.com, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For associate producer Lucia Chappelle and everyone at This Way Out, I'm Greg Gordon. We thank you for listening online at thiswayout.org and on WRWK, Midlothian, Virginia, 2XX, Canberra City, Australian Capital Territory, KAOS, Olympia, Washington, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned.